0: Hi, and welcome to Eat My Words, a twice-monthly Arizona Highways podcast that celebrates Arizona's unique culinary culture. I'm your host, Kelly Vaughn. For this episode of Eat My Words, I'm pleased to welcome Dustin Dahlin of Underbelly Meat Company, new to Phoenix's Willow neighborhood this year. Dustin, welcome. Thank you for joining me.
1: It's my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Absolutely. So I'm really curious about your culinary background and your interest in being a butcher. How did that develop?
1: Uh, Well, it's been kind of a long time coming of working in restaurants and doing um, nearly every position available in a restaurant and sort of falling in and out of love with... Cooking and managing and all the other stuff that goes into um, being a part of that, whether it's a country club or a restaurant or, um, you know, I've done my fair share of waiting tables as well. So I've seen all kinds of um, aspects of of, a functioning or dysfunctioning restaurant Um, and butchery kind of rolls up all the things that I really enjoy about cooking and food and customer service and very few of the things I dislike. Um, about all of you know the restaurant aspects so um, if you're if you're interested in hearing the kind of strange story behind how I became a butcher, uh, I'd be happy to tell you yeah,
0: absolutely please <laughs> okay
1: so i'll I'll keep this one short but um I, I've been friends with uh, one of my business partners Karen Martin for going on nine years and she's always kind of been the person who's inspired and motivated me to get outside of my box, my comfort zone. And so um, I had a desk job that I really didn't enjoy very much. And uh, I, we happened to kind of fall in love with this book that uh, Taylor Bedecker of the Fatted Calf had written called In the Charcuterie. Really popular book, amazing book. Um, And I was fortunate enough to meet him and take a few classes in Napa with him. And then uh, fortunate enough to stage uh, for a month there. And I was in love with everything, um, from whole animal butchery to curing and smoking and, um, all kinds of all the all encompassing sort of, um, aspect of butchery. And so I found a job in North Carolina kind of, again, Karen saying, Hey, these people are, you know, hiring, you should go for it. You should just see what's up, move there, whatever. And so, I interviewed with a gentleman uh, at a shop in North Carolina and um, didn't hear from him for a while. And I realized now why, because it's a crazy business. Uh, <laughs> there's there's a lot of moving pieces to it. And so checking emails is not exactly high on the priority list most of the time. Um, so I just decided to get a plane ticket and fly out there, uh, sort of on no notice. And I, he was nice enough to give me a job and the rest is history. That was back in 2017
0: amazing 2016 excuse me yeah so you were in north carolina uh took some training in napa what ultimately brought you to arizona
1: well arizona is sort of my home um my dad lives here he and i are very close um i moved out here back in 2012 for a job then and i had lived here numerous times before i went to high school here for a little while um i was actually born in tucson so I've lived various places around the United States, but Phoenix is the place I've spent most of my time and I guess feel the most comfortable.
0: You mentioned whole animal butchery, <laughs> which, you know, we can presume what that is, but to our listeners who don't really have a concept, I mean, what what is the definition of whole animal butchery?
1: Whole animal butchery is... Um, it really, it should just be called butchery, but the reason it's called whole animal butchery is to specify that it's how we used to do things um, before the food system became commoditized, industrialized, and you know centralized, I guess. Um, it's basically an approach to using the entire animal, and that's from a perspective of not only thrift, but um, honoring and respecting the fact that somebody put very hard work and lots of hours into raising an animal the way an animal is most happy. Um, And so you're not only honoring the farmer or the rancher, but you're honoring the animal's life as well. Um, And, you know, anybody I think that's in this business of, of whole animal driven butchery uh, would feel the same way. That's, you know, it's something to feel good about taking an animal's life while it's not the butcher's job to do so. Um, You know, our, what we yield from that life taking is something that is wholesome and nourishing. And, um, the the significance of not wasting any of that can't be understated.
0: Talk to us a little bit about your plans for underbelly. I know that you're working on the build out right now. Um, what are your plans? What are you going to stock? What's, what's the notion behind it?
1: Um, You know our business model i think is similar to some butcher shops um in the u.s but um i like to think of it as a little more old world um i'm i have a great affinity for european culture and while i'm not that familiar with it um i spend much of my time um, kind of studying older recipes and older techniques of butchering and things like that so kind of melding the new and an open-minded approach with some traditional approaches as well. Um, but moreover having a lot of value added product and convenience things and um, ready to eat types of things because of um, just, you know, the crazy lives that we all lead. Uh, I feel that, you know, customers, while they must enjoy cooking, if they set from the butcher shop, they also don't mind you taking the extra steps for them. So um, it's our business model is going to rely heavily on making really good, ready to eat food, heat, meat meals um, with the best quality meat you can find anywhere.
0: You know, I think a lot of consumers just given the ease of it, you know, it's really easy just to walk into Fry's or Safeway or AJ's and just buy some pre-packaged cut of meat um, and it's all about convenience, right? But what are the benefits of actually purchasing from a butcher? I mean, it's my understanding that you're going to stock a lot of locally grown beef and other meat. What's the benefit of going to a butcher?
1: Uh, there are so many, I don't even know where to start and you might have to tell me to, uh, but I'll, I'll start and I'll keep going. So, um, one of them is uh, a connection with your community and a connection with small businesses. And, um, once again, it, you know, anything that we can do to sort of minimize the impact of the in, of industrialized food, um, I think is a step in the right direction. Um, that being said, of course, it's a little more expensive, um, and probably always will be, um, because there's less infrastructure, less people involved, uh, less availability, um, you know, all of that kind of works against us, but I think we're doing an outstanding job as a whole between the people who grow and raise food and um, people like myself. Um, but, you know, really just keeping the customer or trying to make the customers or the potential customers aware of what it is that we're doing. So that's one of the aspects is um, it's beneficial for the community. It's local. Um, which means essentially that we're getting it from most of it, uh, at, at from as close of a location as we can. So the environmental impact, I mean, is huge. And I, that's a whole nother conversation, but between the way the animal is raised, um, and keeping a smaller footprint when it comes to transportation and shipping of these products, um, really goes a long way. So, uh, that's another benefit, um, you know, healthful nutrient density, um, wholesomeness, uh, you could call it all of those things. It is all of those things. Um, uh, you know, I think it tastes better personally, and I, I know a lot of people swear by it. Um, you know, it's more bang for your buck really. And, you know, your buck is, you're going to spend a few more, <laughs> but you're to you're getting a whole lot out of it.
0: Well, and you, you get what you pay for. It's a, it's a higher quality product than what you can find in the big chain
1: grocery stores for the most yes, part. I feel it is. And in addition to that, um, we, you do get even more bang for your buck with the interaction that you have in a shop like ours um, from an edgy. I mean, you come in there with a question about anything. If you want an education about how the animal was raised, I'm always learning more and more about that process um, but there's so much to know. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm still a very lay person when it comes to that knowledge, um, how to cook a particular cut. Yeah, it, it, animals are infinitely customizable. So, you know, depending on what food you like to cook, there's a different cut that can be had um, depending on, you know, the journey you choose, uh, your culinary journey that is. So,
0: so let's actually pivot to cooking and let's say steak. Say you want to cook a bone-in ribeye. What's your preferred method?
1: Well, a ribeye specifically. Um, there's a lot of. There's been a lot of talk for years and years about a reverse sear, um, and when you have a large piece of meat, the reverse sear tends to work the best and kind of minimizes your opportunity for error. And so, in a nutshell, a reverse sear is cooking a piece of a seasoned piece of meat, a thicker piece of meat. Um, very slowly, very gently, because the more slowly and gently you cook the meat, the less moisture it loses and moisture equates to flavorsome, uh, enjoyable chewing, eating experience, um, followed by a short resting period, followed by imparting of high heat, which develops that amazing caramelization that we all associate with a good steak. Um, so yeah, the reverse here, I think for a big, thick ribeye and big, thick roasts and steaks for that matter all across the part is the best.
0: And you use cast iron for that, I presume.
1: Cast iron is an incredible uh, piece of cooking equipment. It's cheap, it's resilient, it holds up. Uh, The downside of it, if there is one, is that it's heavy. Um, So it can be a little cumbersome to move and store. But yeah, I I can't get enough cast iron in my life. It's fantastic.
0: Yeah, neither we can we. And really, you know, it is more versatile than I think a lot of people think that it is. It's it's Green. mainstay in our house for sure. I guess I'm curious. You know, I would presume that you've come across some some more exotic uh, animals than others to butcher. Do you have one that really stands out?
1: Um. You know, I can't really think of one the the big four that most shops deal with consistently are going to be chicken, lamb, beef, and uh, pork. And those are primarily what we deal in. Every once in a while, we've dealt with game birds before, Um, you know, see like duck, pheasant, um, quail every once in a while. I I can't say that there's anything that's been uh, super exotic. Some of the organ meats would be probably more in that category and how to deal with those and cook those is, is more of a kind of roulette, I guess, for, for some people. But that's an opportunity, once again, for, for people in a butcher shop, people who work in a butcher shop to um, help expand the minds of customers and, uh, you know, really drive home the point that every part of the animal really is delicious and offers something, culinarily speaking.
0: And of those big four animals, um, do you have a, a cut that is your own personal preference?
1: Yeah, I do a handful of them. Actually. I, uh, I, I really, I enjoy all, all of the things that we sell. Um, if I didn't, I wouldn't sell it. Um, well, that's not true. <laughs> I would, there's a, there's a few things that I would sell, uh, because you know, it's in demand and customers can't get enough of them, but you don't have to touch on that. Um, I You know, my favorite are sort of some of the unusual cuts from a cow, um, the cuts that you don't really find in the grocery store. The number one that springs to mind is a Denver steak, mm. and a lot of people aren't familiar with that. Um, it's an incredible cut. It's extremely versatile. It actually comes from the chuck, which is the first five ribs of the cow, and it's, uh, it's called the serratus ventralis, and it's a very heavily marbled cut. It has a really unique texture. Um, you can find it sometimes, and sometimes it'll be called boneless short ribs, but boneless short ribs can be a lot of other cuts as well. So you're never quite sure if you're getting a Denver steak or the serratus ventralis. It can be braised. It can be grilled over high heat. So it's one of the few cuts really that you can moist heat cook or high heat cook. And it's delicious in both forms. But as a steak, I think it shines. It's absolutely (laughs) life-altering.
0: Very cool. Dustin, what do you want our listeners to know most about Underbelly?
1: Um, That uh, we're very customer-focused. We are sourcing the very best of every product we can find. Um, Quality is ultimately our biggest concern. And that translates to how we feel about our guests and our customers. Um, very close to quality is going to be local, um, hyper local, even as much as we can. Whether that's going to be, you know, milk, cheese, produce, bread. Um, we're trying to connect with folks that have been doing it for years, the tried and true folks, as well as people who are looking to, you know, get into starting their own business. Um, so it is just a purely you know better food equals i think better living and um the education that will be available to people the time that we will be able to spend to help people feel comfortable cooking things that they're not used to um, is going to be something that we're going to be very focused on as well so
0: on that perfect bite dustin Dahlin of underbelly meat company thanks so much for joining me
1: my pleasure thanks again kelly
0: for more information about Underbelly Meat Company, visit Instagram at underbellymeatco. For more information about Arizona Highways, visit arizonahighways.com. This and all episodes produced by Sarah Heater. Until next time, eat my words.